If you are new to uh, Outlook or you haven't been back for a while, welcome back. We've been on a journey called, uh, there it is, Reframed. And some people still struggle a little bit to catch their understanding. What exactly does Reframed mean? And the most basic way of explaining it is simply this. When I take my glasses off, all of you have changed. You kind of look a little bit blurry now. Many of you look like you haven't brushed your hair because it's all kind of fuzzy and blurry. Okay. Now, the reality is when I put my glasses back on, oh, no, no, you haven't changed the way I see you has changed. Now, that's huge because that's what reframing is all about. Sometimes we see things and, and actually, but that's not the way God wants us to see them. And many times we pray and pray and pray, change my circumstances, Lord, change the situation, Lord, and God doesn't. What he does is change the way we see it. Because the way we see something and perceive, perceive something changes the way we respond to it. That's what reframed is all about. Now, I'm going to deal with a big one today. We're going to talk about reframing suffering. Now, the Bible talks about suffering a lot, and I'm not probably going to be able to do justice to the subject, but I'm hoping today that the way we see suffering, how many of you have ever suffered in any way? Okay, there we go. It's quite a popular thing then. Okay, so it's real in every one of our lives, but the way we see it is not necessarily the way God sees it. Uh, while I was at uh, Hole in the Wall, one of the guys, first time to Hole in the Wall, he's a young guy, has just taken over quite a big church, and uh, most times there's groups of guys and we go off hiking together, some go fishing, some go swimming. He decided, I'm going it alone. Took his fishing rod, out he went fishing. There's a little river to cross, which happened to be deeper at the time than he thought. So instead of just getting wet to the knees, now he's wet to up here, which made him a little bit miffed. Got to the rocks, opened his fishing box. The wind had picked up quite a bit. As he opened it, his uh, fishing permit and some of his things blew away in the wind. <laughs> Got ready to cast as he was walking up onto the rocks where it's a little bit wet, slipped and banged his knee. <laughs> Got his line out, cast it out, and as he cast out, the reel jammed and broke. <laughs> And then he caught nothing. So eventually he's walking back, miffed, angry, Lord. And as he was walking back through the river, which is now even deeper, it's like, Lord, wow, 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 where are you? He felt the still, small little whisper in his heart. Not an audible voice, but that thought that drops in your heart. And you just know, where did that come from? Must be from the Lord. And he heard this little thing drop in his heart, which said, I haven't called you to go alone. Now, that's such a simple thing, and it means nothing to most of us. But for him, it was a breakthrough word. As a young man taking over a church, sometimes the temptation is, I've got this. No, no, we need one another. I've learned I need to be surrounded by men and women to work in team. It's not a job for a lone ranger. He needed to learn that lesson. Did God send all of those problems? Nah, but God used them because here's the thing. In his life, as small as a little example as this is, suffering prepared him for the breakthrough that God wanted for him. Suffering prepared him for the breakthrough that God wanted for him. I want to show us today the wonder and majesty of our God, how our God, he doesn't cause suffering, but he redeems suffering for our good and for our glory. So I'm going to take you through that. It, it came out of a, a verse I was pondering a couple of weeks ago, and it comes from John chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And right there, 
The disciples reveal the perspective that most people had in those days about suffering. Ha, he's born blind. So was it his fault or was it his parents' fault? Who sinned? Because obviously there must be some sin that's caused his suffering. And so many Christians have that exact thinking, you know. Obviously God's punishing him because he must have sinned. And Jesus reframes their thinking right here. Look at what he says. Verse number three, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now we know that he and his parents did sin. But what Jesus was saying, it's not like they lived the perfect lives. It's that that wasn't the cause of this man's blindness. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Think about that. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I want you to catch hold of that thought today. Because for so many, when we think about our perspectives on suffering, let me run through a couple of classic perspectives. Many people see suffering, and I have as a pastor, I have people often ask me, is God punishing me? Because honestly, doesn't that feel like that sometimes when one thing goes wrong, another thing goes wrong? Is God punishing me? What that's revealed is you haven't yet fully understood the work and the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, if you've put your faith in Jesus, the punishment that you deserved, rightfully deserved, because of your sin, God has punished, but not you. He put it onto Jesus. It's exactly what Errol was talking about. When Jesus was being whipped, when Jesus was being crucified, your punishment, which you deserve and which I deserve, God was dealing with that punishment, pouring out the wrath of heaven, but not on us. On Jesus, his beloved son. That's why it's called good news. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my punishment. So if you're still walking around thinking, God, you're punishing me, you're punishing me. No, you haven't understood the gospel yet. You haven't understood that the punishment for our sin was carried by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Can you say amen to that? Some people then think, well, am I suffering because of my sin? Possibly. Let me run through some scenarios. You, uh, you have a bad day, you leave work early, you sneak off to the bar, you drink, you get drunk, you climb into your car, you drive home, you're a bit dizzy, topsy-turvy drunk, you drive into the ditch, you smash the car. Guess whose sin you are suffering for? Your own. Let's just be real about it. Sometimes we do doff things. This is why God hates sin. Because sin carries consequences of suffering, and when you sin, God's not punishing you, sin's punishing you. You did doff things which God says don't do because God loves you and He knows the consequences of your sin is going to make you suffer, which is why God hates sin. Or you're another driver driving home from the prayer meeting with your worship music on, and that same guy who drove into the ditch didn't drive into the ditch, he drove into you. And now you, as you're worshiping and loving Jesus, have a drunk guy smash into the side of you. Now whose sin are you suffering for? Not your sin. You're suffering because of their sin. Because that's the reality of the world that we live in. Or you're born blind. You're born with some kind of defect, some kind of stuff happens. It just happens. Why? Because we live in a sin-scarred world. Now, it's important that we understand the history of suffering. In the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, was there any suffering? 
Nothing. Adam and Eve were running around naked eating fruit salad. Come on. I mean, this was paradise right there. But then, when they ate of the tree that God said, do not eat, what did God say? In Genesis um, 2, verse 16 and 17, the Lord God commanded the men, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. In other words, what is this knowledge? Up to now, you've only had the knowledge of good. Now you're about to find out the knowledge of evil. And guess what part of the knowledge of evil is? Suffering. God said, I don't want you. My will, God's will was never for us to suffer. When sin entered the world, suffering, bam, jumped through that same door, and that's when sin entered the world. One day in heaven, is there any suffering? No, because sin has been dealt with fully and finally. So before sin, there was no suffering. After sin, there's no suffering. But here in the middle, we live in a sin-scarred, fallen world. Is it God's fault? No. He gave us authority. He said, look after the world. We chose to mess up. We chose to sin. We opened the door. Suffering came running through. But now, here's the wonder of our God. Just as through sin, suffering came into the world, how did Jesus, how did God deal with sin in the world? He sent Jesus to suffer and through his suffering take sin back out of the world. This is the wonder of our God. See, this leads us to another perspective that some people have. Many people think, surely if God is so powerful, if God is sovereign, why doesn't he just stop our suffering? I mean, God could have reached out. That, 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 that lady on the way back from prayer meeting, playing the worship music, he could have lifted her car and the drunk guy would have gone in the ditch and then he could put her car down again. Sometimes we think, surely God, you should use your, suffer, you should use your sovereignty, your all-powerfulness, use your sovereignty to prevent all suffering. Why don't you just remove suffering? But here's the thing. God has chosen to use his sovereignty not to remove suffering, but to redeem suffering. I want you to think about that. God is, and here's why, here's why. Because if God removes suffering, it helps us now. If God redeems suffering, it's going to help us for all eternity. This is so important, church. I want you to catch hold of this. Because so many people think, surely, Lord, if you're sovereign, just remove the suffering. He could, but he's chosen to use his sovereignty to redeem it. To redeem means to take something which was worthless or lost and restore it and bring it back to a place of value. Because God's not just looking at the here and now. He's looking at your eternal future. And God in his wonder showed us how he can turn suffering for his glory and for our good. So what we're going to do for the next couple of minutes is just have a look at five ways that God redeems suffering. Five ways that God reframes, and I want us to reframe our perspective. Right now, you might be in the midst of it. Right now, through COVID, economic issues, health issues, you might be smack bang in the middle of a season of suffering. And all you see is torment. All your question is, is God, why don't you take it away? Well, I'm hoping today that that'll be reframed. Number one, reframing our suffering. Suffering can become a source of salvation and help and blessing for others. Okay, number one, 
You can reframe your suffering. What you are going through, God can redeem it by using, instead of wasting your suffering, He can use your suffering as a blessing to others around you. In Hebrews 5, verses 7 to 9, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petition with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him. His suffering made him a source of salvation. Now remember, we want to be more and more like Jesus. So as Jesus, his suffering turned him into a source of salvation. Your suffering, if you suffer well and allow God to redeem your suffering... What you suffer now can become a blessing and source of salvation for others. Let me give you a hectic example. Many of you know, will, will know and remember Errol Atterbury and his Viv. I mean, Viv was here at the midweek service. I mean, last year we, we had this absolute tragedy when home invasion, Errol was murdered. And you think, God, why? How? And, and, and I mean, in the midst of that, God, why don't you just protect them? God doesn't remove, he redeems. Now, here's the thing. Viv is an amazing woman who's been serving God and counseling people for ages. Viv has just now herself gone, done the grief counseling course. And let me tell you, she's going to be running it here in the life of the church. If you go through a tragedy or loss, honestly, you don't want to come to me. I mean, I'll, I'll pray for you and I'll try and cry with you. But honestly, you don't want to come to me. You want to go to Viv. You want to go to someone who's walked through the agony of loss and crisis. And yet, instead of wallowing in that, Lord, redeem the suffering for your glory. And we've been seeing already how she's able now to what she received, because that's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Your suffering was never meant to you to be suffering alone. Say, Lord, I want you to redeem the suffering so that what I've gone through can be a blessing to someone else. Amen? Number two, suffering prepares us for even greater blessing. Think about this now. God, our Heavenly Father is so generous. He wants to bless. Now, If you know the story of Job, most people know about Job because all they know is Job had to suffer. Do you know why Job suffered? So one day Satan comes before God and he says, this servant, Job, I'll tell you, God, why he loves you and serves you. It's because you bless him so much. Of course he loves you. You've blessed his house, blessed his family, blessed his field. Everything he does is blessed. No wonder he loves God because God blesses him. I'll show you, God. Let me take away his blessing and he will curse you to your face. God said, go for it. And that's exactly what happened. The story of Job is one by one, the blessings were taken away from Job. He lost his home, his family, his fields, his health. Next thing he's covered in sores. He's lost community, his respect. He's he's, he's literally dying. His friends turn against him. Every step of the way, they're saying, obviously you've sinned. 
You must have sinned. Otherwise, I mean, look at that. All your blessings gone. Why don't you just curse God and be done with it? And she says, no, I, I still love God. The whole book is exactly about that. Eventually it gets to the point where everything, there's nothing more to take away from Job. And still, no, I love God. Now God says, enough, Satan. Away with you. You see what I'm saying? He's not loving me because of the blessing. He's loving me because of who I am. And then it says in Job 42 verse 10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Let me ask you this question, potential Job's. Do you love God because of who God is or do you love him because of what he does for you? Because if he stopped doing it for you, would you still love him? Or would you turn your back and find another God to satisfy your needs because God's not doing it your way? That's the story of Job. And what suffering does is it refines our heart. Lord, though there's no fig trees, figs on the tree, though the vine doesn't bear fruit, yet will I trust in you. Have you been through that yet? Welcome to discipleship. <laughs> All of us, as part of our discipleship journey, God is going to be examining our hearts. We don't want to worship God for what we get. We worship God for who He is. Amen? And when that breakthrough comes in our heart, God says, now I can release more blessing. Now, because I know your love is not based on blessing, it's based on who I am, and God can bless us even more. One of the, the things we've discovered through covid and what a difficult time COVID has been for so many. And for the church closed down. Things we used to take for granted now seem to be a double blessing. Let me tell you, for me to sit out and see an almost full congregation like this, it's been two years. <laughs> it feels like two years since our last landed to look out upon a crowd. And, and it's not about the crowd. It's the fact that we need each other. We need community. We need the encouragement that comes. Suffering reprioritizes. It helps us refine our priorities so we can enjoy his blessing. Very quickly, number three then. Reframing suffering. Suffering, sure. Suffering is normal. It's normal. Suffering is a very normal part of a normal Christian life. If your view of suffering is this is abnormal, then we've got to reframe that because you haven't understood the gospel. You see, many people think the gospel, if I was running a race, the gun goes off, oh, that's the gospel. Jesus died for my sin, I'm forgiven. Okay, we've dealt with the gospel. Now let's grow to maturity. No, you haven't understood. The gospel is not what, just what Jesus did for us. The gospel becomes our way of life. Your philosophy of life should be gospel living. The gospel in a nutshell was this. Jesus trusted his father so much that he was willing to obey his father, which meant death of the flesh, because he believed that beyond the suffering, there's resurrection, life, and eternal glory. That's the gospel. Do you believe it? Are you prepared to live it? Because basically that's what repentance is all about. Repentance means my flesh wants to do this. I want to sin because sin is nice. It looks good. No, no. Father, I trust you. I trust you enough to let my desires die. And, and sometimes we've got to resist the enemy. And, and sometimes we've got to suffer because I'm trusting that your will is better. Everyone wants resurrection, life, and power. But how do you get to the tomb? You have to go through the cross. It's normal, but we trust the Father 
You are the God of resurrection life. And so it's normal for us daily as we repent, turn from sin, turn to follow God. We walk through the cross of suffering because we believe that just beyond is resurrection life and power. It's normal. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, Paul said, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not far from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. For we are alive, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I love food. Absolutely. I've got a a food blog. Most of you wouldn't know that. It's called uh, Apostolic Taste Adventures. When I go into different nations, Pakistan, Venezuela, Brazil, I always want to go look for that, uh, that. I love food. And as I felt about a year ago, God stirred my heart. I want to grow in the area of prayer. I want to be an effective prayer, which is great. But at the back of my mind lurked this kind of niggling worry that at some point God is going to start speaking to me about fasting. <sighs> And I kind of put it off, put it off, put it off until eventually, I mean, I'm thinking, God, you are good all of the time. Jesus said we should fast. So if you're good all of the time, what you do is good all of the time. Fasting is good, but it doesn't feel good. (laughs) So true to it, I began to kind of uh, study and, and I'm trying to develop a lifestyle now of learning to fast. But I believe fasting is good because exactly this. We rule by our appetites, by our flesh, by our desires. Fasting says, no, just on the other side of denying your flesh is a closeness and intimacy to Jesus, a wonder of hearing his voice clearer, of breakthroughs, if you'll just push through the cross and discover the empty tomb, life and resurrection and power. Reframe suffering by repenting of self-pity, victim mentality and entitlement and recognize that this is a normal part of gospel life. We have to walk through the cross to experience resurrection life. Let me land very quickly two more. We reframe suffering by realizing that suffering well is richly rewarded. Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Yikes. We don't often preach that part of the gospel, do we? Paul had this revelation, though. Paul realized, if I'm prepared to suffer with Christ, the more I'm prepared to suffer with Christ, the more I will be able to share in his eternal glory. That revelation gripped his heart. That's why he was, he, was, he was able to leave a comfortable life of being a rabbi in established Jewish community and go and take the gospel to the ends of the earth to be shipwrecked, to be beaten, to be stoned, to be left for dead, to be persecuted because he'd seen something. Lord, I want to share in your suffering because I want to share in your glory. I was 
He says in, in Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become a servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. I was pondering this about those who've caught this revelation. And I remember that story about those Moravian missionaries during the slave trade where, where they were taking slaves from Africa and the West Indies and, and taking them into, uh, into the United States during the whole slave trade era. And, and there were some, some Moravian missionaries who, we want to preach to them. Their lives matter to God. And, and they try to get permission to, to be able to minister to those who were being caught and taken on the slave trade. And it was like, no, it's not going to happen. Let me read an extract. The Moravian slaves, a popular story about Christian missions concerning Johann Dober and David Nietzschmann, described how these two young Moravian brethren from Germany were called in 1732 to minister to African slaves on the islands of St. Thomas and St. Crooks in the Danish West Indies. Allegedly, when they were told that they would not be allowed to do such a thing, Dober and Nietzschmann sold themselves to a slave owner and boarded a ship bound for the West Indies. As the ship pulled away from the docks, it said that they called out to their loved ones on the shore, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Imagine selling yourself into slavery so that you could minister to those who are slaves. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for you and I? Share in his suffering, share in his glory. And let me finish with this one. We reframe suffering by realizing that there is an intimacy with Jesus that we're only going to discover on the road of suffering. We're not going to discover it at church conferences. We're not going to discover it in these beautiful worship experiences. There's a deeper intimacy with Jesus waiting for those who are willing to fellowship with Christ through suffering. Not get angry with God, not abandon God, no, no, but walk with Jesus who suffered on our behalf right through the midst of your suffering. Just as Psalm uh, 23, remember that? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me, with me. There's a fellowship. That's what Paul knew. And he said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. How many of you can say, yes, I want to know Christ? Yes, Lord. To know the power of his resurrection? Yes, Lord. And participation in his sufferings. You see, most of us would say, yes, I want to know Jesus more. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection in my life and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. In the old NRV, it said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. You don't have to suffer alone. That's the beauty. Whatever you're facing right now, is actually a place for greater intimacy with Jesus. More than you'll get in church, more than you'll get on the hilltops when everything, the angels are singing and the sun is shining, there's an intimacy you can experience with Jesus. Stephen, that uh, first martyr, was one of the most amazing examples of that. Being stoned to death, I couldn't imagine a more horrific death 
He was preaching to the Pharisees. They were furious. They picked up stones. They began to stone him. And it says in Acts 7, 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Why is that so significant? Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's his place of honor. And yet, when he sees one of his sons suffering like that, Stephen looks up to heaven and Jesus stands up from his throne. I'm with you, my boy. There's a fellowship and intimacy in the midst of our suffering that we will never experience anywhere else. We reframe suffering by pressing into Jesus in the midst of your suffering. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not fear because he is with us. Our God is sovereign. He could remove suffering, but he's chosen here on earth to redeem it. Because if he removes it, he'll help us now. But if he redeems it, he helps us for all eternity. I want to leave you with my pet heresy. Pet heresy means it's probably wrong, but I believe it's true. And uh, I got a sneaky suspicion that one day in heaven, be talking to Jesus and, you know, just celebrating the wonder. Thank you, Lord. And, and then I, I suspect a much, when I see in heaven who's seated where and the types of rewards based on faithfulness and what people have given their lives. And I suspect some of us might look at Jesus and say, yo, Jesus, when, when I see how it was in times of suffering that you did so much in their lives. It was all the times of suffering that have now produced all of these rewards. Jesus, why didn't you send me more suffering? And I thought Jesus will probably look and say, oh, Brent, 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 because you whine like a baby every single time. <laughs> so that's my pet heresy. Let's allow the Lord to reframe our perspective on suffering that it may be redeemed for the glory of God. Amen? Why don't you stand with me, please? Why don't you close your eyes with me and just take a moment to pray. You can pray quietly. You can pray a mumbling prayer. Just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Come, Holy Spirit. Would you make your word clear right now? Holy Spirit, would you highlight what is it that you want us to repent of, to confess as sin, deal with it so that we can change? Thank you for your word, Lord. Pray it over your life. Pray it. What is God challenging you with today? Don't just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of his word. What do you need to do differently? Pray for that right now. Commit to that right now before the Lord. Ask the Lord for his help, for his anointing, his strength to do what he's calling you to do today. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that your word would bear fruit in our hearts. We offer our eyes to you right now. Come and change. Give us eyes that see. We don't want to have eyes that do not see, ears that do not hear, hearts that do not perceive. We want our eyes to see what you're doing to us. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that you're transforming our lives. Just with our eyes closed, maybe you're here today. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you're new. Maybe you've never been discipled. But God is getting a hold of your heart. He took the punishment for you if you trust in his lordship. 
or are you still outside of the umbrella of his protection? You don't get in there by going to church. You come under the salvation of God by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord, opening the door of your heart and saying, Jesus, I bow my knee. I'm giving my life to you. If you've never done that, then you need to do that. You need to open the door of your heart by faith and surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. And you can pray that prayer as well. Simply, God, I surrender. I surrender to you. And if you've never been discipled, that's what we do as a church. We make disciples. Please come and chat to, to me or one of the elders or leaders and we'd happily take you on a journey of discipleship. Father, I pray that you would protect us as we go. Father, that your word would be fruitful in our hearts, that we would always remember that your gracious hand rests upon us in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. We're going to be praying for Bongi. We're going to be praying for Bongi.